Luke 1, verse 5 to 25. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to 25. And the theme for this morning's message, Good News Before Christmas. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you once again for your precious word, your holy word. We revere you and we fear you and we stand in awe of your holy word. The scriptures given to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, also the Gospel of Luke. And we pray, Lord, that you would enlighten our eyes, that you would show us deep truth, that you would show us your glory in your holy word. Also from this passage this morning, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, my theme could have more than one meaning. That theme, Good News Before Christmas, um, in one sense, it's only October and I'm preaching a message about Christmas, well, at least in one sense. So this is Good News Before Christmas that's only in December. But then, in another sense, this is Good News Before Christmas because the birth of John the Baptist is announced and then only six months later does the angel Gabriel come and he announces to Mary the birth of Jesus. So this is the good news before Christmas. And I think we can all do with some good news, especially after a year like 2020. Let us read Luke 1 verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how, how shall I know this? I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent. And unable to speak until the day that these things take place. 
because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Number one, Zechariah's background. That's verse 5 to 7. So King Herod, he ruled in Judea, or in Judah, that's the southern part of Israel. He ruled and he reigned as king from the year 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. Uh, Herod means son of a hero. Now, in the New Testament, whenever you see the word Herod or the name Herod, really, there's more than one King Herod. There are six Herods in the Bible. You've got Herod the Great in Matthew 2, Herod Archelaus in Matthew 2, Herod Antipas in Luke 3, Herod Philip in Mark 6 verse 17, Herod Agrippa I in Acts 12, Herod Agrippa II in Acts 25. So these, these Herods... King Herod, they weren't Jews, uh, they were Edomians, and Edomians, they were from the descendants of Esau, the Edomites. Now, the Herod we read of in verse 5, the days of Herod, that's Herod the Great, and he was a very evil man. He lusted for power, he was jealous, he was suspicious of anyone whom he thought, this person wants my throne. And so he murdered his in-laws, he murdered his first wife, he murdered his sons, many of his sons. He murdered the babies um, in the area of Bethlehem, all the babies under two years old, when he heard that the, kings, the king of the Jews had been born. And so it was in this time of this evil king that there were some righteous people in Israel, and two of them were called Zechariah and Elizabeth, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, the division of Abijah. And he, and his, he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Uh, so Zechariah, he's a priest from the division of Abijah, it says. Now that you find in First Chronicles 24, verse, verse 10, where the division of Abijah, they had 24 different groups of priests, and group number eight was the division of Abijah. And what happened is like a rotation basis. On a rotation basis, you have your duty in the temple. So he's group number five. And verse five also says, or group number eight at least, verse five also says that Elizabeth is from, his wife was from the lineage of Aaron. Uh, so in other words, her father was a priest, but also she now gets married to a priest. And verse 6 tells us they're righteous people, obviously righteous, declared righteous through faith. Um, they live a blameless life, so they have a clean conscience and they obey, obey God's commandments, live obedient lives. And so that just proves to us, the fact that they live such righteous and holy and upright lives proves to us that she wasn't barren 
because she had done something wrong. And the Jews thought if you don't have children, it's a punishment from God. Well, verse 7 says she's barren, but verse 6 says to you it's not because she sinned. And then also verse 7 says they're too old to have children. Not only is Elizabeth barren. So what do we draw from this? What's the lesson we take from this? Don't measure God's blessing in terms of prosperity, riches, health or success or something of the kind. Don't think, oh, God is really happy with me because look at this. I've got all this money and I'm rich and I'm healthy. That's the prosperity gospel. That's false teaching. It's like a guy who once said to me, we had some, some philanthropist, a guy came to our church and uh, he paid for all of this. New carpets, uh, new seat coverings and painting the building and the varnish and new light fittings and so on. All these new beautiful lampshades. And it cost 90,000 rand to do all of this, and this guy just paid for it all. And when another Christian heard about this, he said, so would you now say that this is God's blessing on you? God is really happy with you because you got all of this. And I said, no, not necessarily. Benny Hinn has also got new carpets in his church, and he's a false teacher. And for this very same reason, don't immediately assume the Lord must be angry with me because I can't find a job. Or, I'm, unf I'm, I'm barren, I'm infertile, we can't have kids, so maybe the Lord's angry, or I'm struggling financially, or I can't find a husband, or I can't find a wife, or, or I'm sick, so that means the Lord is punishing me. Now, obviously, when things go poorly in our lives, and we've got trouble and tribulation and trials, yes, it can be that the Lord is disciplining me, but it's not a given, it's not a given. So rather choose, rather choose Zechariah and Elizabeth's righteous and obedient life, that is, that of, you've got this life filled with trials, rather than choosing an unholy life, but you've got money and you've got success and you've got health. So a righteous life filled with trials, and this life will end in heaven, that's better than living a godless life, but you've got money and you'll end in hell. Number two, Zechariah's vision, that's verse 8 to 17. So I remember as, uh, when I was a child, we would play hide and seek. But now, obviously, as a kid, you don't want to be on. You don't want to be the kid that needs to look for the other kids. So we did an eeny, meeny, miny, moe, or black shoe, black shoe, change your foot, or something of the sort to see who's going to be on. Now, in the Bible, when we read of casting lots, um, for instance, in verse 9, he was chosen by lot to serve in the temple, that's not quite black shoe, black shoe, change your foot, or any meeny, miny, moe. Um, it's rather what they call the Urim and the Tumim in Exodus 28 verse 30. So the high priest, he had a plate covering his chest with gemstones, but then it had a pocket, and they would put two flat stones inside, according to some commentators. And if there was a big decision to make, he would reach his hand, put it into the pocket, and then just pull out the first stone he touches, or the first stone he takes. And if it was Urim, it, it was called Urim, the one stone. If it was Urim, then it, it meant, for instance, oh, the decision is yes. Or if it was Thumim, then it would mean, no, the, the decision is no. So this wasn't mere luck. It was God's decision. Like Proverbs 16, verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap. It's every decision is from the Lord. Now, it doesn't work like that anymore. We don't cast lots because we've got the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and we've got the complete Bible God has given us so we can live profitable lives and make good decisions. Uh, nevertheless, so when they cast this lot, 
Zechariah was chosen, verse 9, verse 8 and 9. His division's on duty, but he's now chosen to go into the temple to burn incense. And that would happen twice a day. A morning sacrifice, an evening sacrifice, according to Exodus 30. And that was a very, very great privilege. It happened to you only once in your lifetime. And sometimes, for some people, it never happened for some priests. So this is a very great privilege. So he goes and offers incense in the temple, verse 9. He burns incense. And that's really symbolic, this incense of of the prayers of God's people, that it's, it's pleasing to Him. According to Psalm 141, verse 2, and Revelation 5, and Revelation chapter 8, our prayers are like incense. And then the, the, not only the priest's prayers, but also the people prayed outside in verse 10. I don't know what they prayed for. Perhaps they confessed their sins. Maybe they just worshipped God. Or maybe they praised Him and longed and prayed for the coming of the Messiah. But as they were praying outside, this angel appears to Zechariah, verse 11. The angel appears on the right side of the altar of incense, the golden altar. And as the angel appears, remember, keep this in mind, angels are spirits, according to Hebrews 1, verse 14. But they can appear in various forms. They can appear as men, as humans. They can appear as horses of fire or chariots of fire, according to 2 Kings 2 and 2 Kings 6. Um... But Zechariah now, as he sees this angel appearing, he's, he's terrified. Verse 12, he's very afraid because angels are terrifying beings, according to Matthew 28. And immediately the angel puts him at ease and puts him at rest in verse 30. He says, no, no, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. I've come from God. God has sent this message via me. I bring good news. You're going to have a son. Um, and so your prayers are answered. Be be not afraid. I think we should learn to pray like Zechariah did. So verse 13 says, your prayers have been answered. How long did Zechariah pray for? How many times did he ask the Lord, please would you give us a son? Doesn't that teach you to keep on praying? Like Luke 18 says, you should always pray and not lose heart. Now if you, just, if you start praying for something and very quickly or very soon afterward you give up, all that it shows is you're not, you weren't really serious about it in the first place. And so I want to encourage you, if there are things that you're serious about, but you've stopped praying for them, pick that up again. Start praying for them again. Alright, now, to get back to the text, in verse 13, the angel now tells Zechariah, you have to call this son John. His name will be John. Uh, John means the Lord is gracious. And what... John preached was a message of grace, was a message of salvation, that God's grace has now come to us in the person of Jesus Christ, in the Messiah. And this John, this baby, he wouldn't only make his, his parents happy, because now they've got a baby boy, he would also be, bring great joy to all the people. Why? Because he's going to preach the message of salvation. The Messiah has come! The Messiah has come! Verse 14, it says, You'll receive joy, have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And he's, and he's the forerunner for the Messiah. He's the one who's come to announce the coming of the King. And he will be great before the Lord. Verse 15. Be great before the Lord. So he's greater than Abraham. He's, he's greater than Moses. He's greater than Elijah and Elisha. Uh, Elisha. He's greater than Isaiah and Daniel and, and all the prophets. Jesus said so in Luke 7 verse 28. Of all the men born of women, there is none greater than John. It reminds me of uh, R.C. Sproul, 
an American theologian who always used to trick his students. And he would say, who's the greatest Old Testament prophet? And they would guess Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Daniel. And eventually he would say, no, it's John the Baptist. John didn't live in the Old, uh, at least we don't read of him in the Old Testament. We read of him in the New Testament, but he's still an Old Testament prophet. The last of the Old Testament prophets. And yet Jesus says in Luke 7, 28, the youngest, the simplest, the poorest believer in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Why? Because we live this side of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And yet, do not underestimate the importance of John the Baptist's ministry. So the Lord, is, the Lord chose John for a very great task, a very great work, and that's why he wasn't allowed to drink any alcohol, verse 15. And, and God filled him with the Holy Spirit, says verse 15, from his mother's womb, just like Jeremiah where God chose Jeremiah from his mother's womb to be a prophet, set him apart, or Paul as an apostle in Galatians 1.15, or the Messiah according to Isaiah 49 verse 1. So John wasn't to be controlled by alcohol, he had to be controlled by the Spirit. Perhaps he was a Nazarene, um, or a Nazarite at least. A Nazarite was uh, someone like Samson or Samuel, uh, a Nazarite was someone who was set apart for God for a very special assignment, very particular and very special devotion to God, Numbers chapter 6. I don't know if you want to be like John. I, I think every Christian has to say, I want to be devoted to God. Do you want to be like John? Do you want to be powerful and effective in your witness to the Lord? Do you want to be an instrument in the Lord's hand, effective instrument? Well, that can happen. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in you permanently as he dwelt in John. And then also learn from verse 15, you'll be filled with the Spirit from the womb. And verse 41, he rejoiced, the baby leaped, as he was still a baby in the womb, and he leaped uh, for joy when he heard Mary's greeting. Mary is the mother of Jesus. And verse 44, it says the baby leaped for joy. I think what we take from this is that unborn babies, if God wants it to be so, they can be filled with the Spirit. Like verse 15, he will be filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. Unborn babies can be saved. You say, that's impossible. How can you say such a thing? Well, verse 15 says John, John was filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb. And Psalm 22 that's a, a psalm about David's life, but also a prophecy about the Messiah. Psalm 22, verse 9. David writes, You are he, he's talking to God, you took me from my mother's womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Psalm 71, verse 5 and 6. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. And so for this reason, I believe that babies who die go to heaven. And I think uh, texts like the following, I'll read them to you now. The, the following texts point in the same direction. Deuteronomy 1 verse 39 God says to the Israelites, you will not go into the promised land. 
but your children whom you thought and said our kids are going to die in the desert your children who do not know their right hand from their left they do not know right from wrong they will enter there they will go into the land or um, David when his baby died the baby was already born and then David prays please Lord don't let the child die the baby's sick please don't let the baby die and eventually the baby dies and then David says I cannot bring the child back to me he's dead now but I will go to him not just I'll go where he goes meaning the grave I will go to him in other words the child's in heaven 1 Kings chapter 14 verse 11 to 13 um, so Jeroboam is the king of Israel and his baby is very sick the child is sick the baby's he doesn't know is the baby gonna die or not and so he sends his wife to the prophet and the prophet says that Jeroboam is so evil that all his descendants will die none of them will even be buried to show what a stench they are they're just gonna die in the field and rot there and eaten be eaten by animals and then it says but this child shall be buried the child's gonna die the child will be buried because there is in him something pleasing to the Lord a child Matthew 18 verse 3 Jesus says to the disciples unless you turn and become like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven now be careful here don't come to wrong conclusions don't say for instance oh children are only accountable for their sin when they are seven years old or when they when they turn 12 years old the, the Bible never gives you some age of accountability and yet we know that God is wise and God will do what is right when it comes to babies who die a second wrong conclusion do not say babies are innocent babies are not guilty that is not true Psalm 51 verse 5 says we are sinners from the moment of conception from our birth we are filled with sin and so babies go to heaven when they die because God regenerated them in other words verse 15 kind of thing they're filled with the spirit if God decides to do that and because God is gracious and because Jesus died for their sins they don't go to heaven because they're innocent and then another wrong conclusion is do not say oh verse 15 means we should baptize babies nowhere does the Bible say that verse 15 happens to every baby the Bible teaches us we only baptize those who repent of their sins who repent and turn to the Lord who trust in Christ whose lives show that they are born again and that goes whether the person is five years old or 55 have you been converted have you repented of your sin I'm asking you have you been born again have you left your sin behind have you asked the Lord to save you and that is what John the Baptist had to do for the people of Israel verse 16 he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God turn their hearts back to God because God wanted the people to think truly and to do what is right so that they could be ready when the Messiah came when the Messiah comes verse 17 he will go before him in other words John will go before the Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah 
to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared so it's as if John is this messenger he goes before the king and he calls out leave your sin leave your sin hear ye hear ye the king is coming make ready to meet your king acknowledge him as your messiah and your lord and your god and then god sends him in the spirit and power of elijah verse 17 just like elijah in the old testament elijah preached to israel he preached because he wanted them to turn back to the lord and so the same is true of john the baptist in verse 17 just like Elijah lived in the desert, so John the Baptist lived in the desert. And he preached like Elijah, with fire, with power. He wore clothes of camel hair. He wore uh, a leather belt. And we see this in verse 80. Lived in the wilderness, Matthew 3 verse 4. Preached in the desert, clothes of camel hair. Just like Elijah in 1 Kings 17 and 2 Kings chapter 1. Now, 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 John the Baptist, he wasn't the Elijah figure that the Jews expected. This figure that would come and he would appear and, and announce the coming of a military Messiah. Uh, John wasn't that kind of Messiah or that kind of, of person, that kind of Elijah. Uh, John 1 verse 21. Uh, rather, he was the Elijah that we read of the prophecy in Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 and 6. He would come to prepare for God, prepare a people for the Messiah, uh, to bring uh, broken up families back together again, to reconcile them, that these people would be reconciled to God and then, then reconciled to one another, verse 17. It says he will turn the hearts of fathers to the children. And Malachi says the hearts of children to their fathers. Jesus says in Matthew 11 verse 14, John the Baptist is Elijah. Matthew 17 verse 10 to 13, John the Baptist, he's that Elijah we read of in Malachi. And may the Lord again, once again, send such a person to South Africa to bring people in South Africa and turn them to God, turn their hearts, even people in churches, to turn their hearts back to God. Verse 16, the children of Israel, God's very own people, they had to repent. South Africans have to repent. May God send someone who will come through the preaching of the gospel and restore broken families, verse 17. In many homes in South Africa without fathers, many single parents, many homes with rebellious children, rebellious young people, many homes where fathers and mothers fight and get divorced. God did this in the 1700s in England. What happened in England at that time? The church has no longer preached the gospel. The government didn't know what to do with the moral chaos in England. They started manor schools, schools where they teach adults manners. They strictly forbade the import of alcohol. And so what happened is every sixth house in London became a gin shop where people would distill their own alcohol and brew their own alcohol. And homosexuality was not regarded as a sin, just like in South Africa. 
polygamy, where you take more than one wife, wasn't regarded as a sin. The prisons were overflowing. There wasn't any place in the prisons anymore. No more space. So babies were in prison with their mothers because they could live nowhere else. And the most wicked and evil things shown in the theater, sexually immoral and evil stuff in the theater. The government wondered how can we solve the problem? So there was the death penalty for more than 160 different crimes. And nothing helped until God intervened. Arnold Delimore writes, England was startled by the sound of a voice. It was the voice of a preacher. George Whitfield, a clergyman or a pastor, 22 years old, he was declaring the gospel in the pulpits of London with such fervor and power, no church would hold the multitudes that flocked to hear. And so through, the, through the, this revival, God literally changed every aspect of English society. And my prayer is that God will do the same for South Africa. And above all of this even, above this, I desire that Jesus will come. Jesus will return for a final time to renew all things. Don't let Jesus catch you sleeping spiritually. Be watchful. Be awake. Be ready to meet your God. Verse 17 at the end. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Just as the first coming, so for the second coming. Number three, Zechariah's unbelief. That's verse 18 to 25. Have you ever prayed for something, but then when God answers the prayer, you simply didn't expect it to happen? Maybe you even said, it's impossible. This is unbelievable. Well, that's, that's what Zechariah was like. So Zechariah prayed for a child. Verse 13 says so. It says, your prayer has been answered. Your prayer has been heard. And so he prayed for a child, and when the answer came, he couldn't believe it. Verse 18. How can this be? I'm an old man. I'm advanced in years. It's almost like in Acts chapter 12, they pray for Peter who's in prison, and then when he gets released, they don't believe it. They say, no, nah, it can't be Peter at the gate. It's his angel. <laughs> and so, so Zechariah says, my wife and I are too old. We can't have kids. Give me a sign. How will I know this? Give me some sign to prove this is real, just like Abraham did. What will be the sign? How will I know this? Sarah and I are too old. Genesis 15 verse 8, 17 verse 17, 18 verse 13. And so now here in Luke, the angel is really shocked. He's surprised. He's surprised at the unbelief and he says, I'm Gabriel. I, I stand before God. I do what God commands me. And God has sent me with good news to you. And because you did not believe me, because you did not praise God, well, now your tongue will be silent. You will be mute you won't be able to talk until my words are fulfilled and the child is born. And so you want a sign? You'll have a sign. And that's the only sign you'll get is that you won't be able to talk. I think that's how we should understand verse 19 and 20. 
And so while the angel is talking with him, everyone's waiting outside. They're waiting outside wondering, what's taking the guy so long? Verse 21. Because the priest had to come out and then pray the blessing upon them from the end of, of Numbers chapter 6. And they're wondering, what's taking so long? Perhaps he's died. Maybe he's died like Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10, going to the temple and you don't come out. And so he does come out in the end. Eventually he comes out, but he's mute. He can't talk. And it says in verse uh, 22, uh, verse 20, the angel says you won't be able to speak. Verse 22, now he keeps on making signs to try and explain what has happened. And then it seems like he's also deaf because in verse 62, the people have to make signs to him to explain. He can't hear. And maybe, maybe they saw his eyes were as big as saucers, or maybe his face was white as a sheet. And, and they immediately realized he had seen a vision, verse 22. And so he, now he explains with, with hand signs because he can't talk. And he continues his service, which lasted for seven days. Continues the service, and then he goes back home. He lives in the mountainous area of, of the province of Judah. Uh, according to verse 39 and 40 but verse 23 says he goes back home and he's there for a short while and shortly after getting back home his wife gets pregnant Elizabeth gets pregnant verse 24 and so she keeps herself hidden she stays indoors for five months says verse 24 maybe because um, people were mocking her and teasing her as the barren one like we see in verse 36 she was called the barren one and maybe she wants to stay indoors until people can see she's pregnant till it becomes visible and then everyone would know that God is almighty God is sovereign over the womb God is the one who gives children to the unfruitful to the infertile verse 25 look what the Lord has done for me and it will take away a reproach and yet I, I think personally that that the main application from these verses is not that God can give children to people who are infertile, people who can't have kids. Yes, obviously that's true, but I think Luke's point here is to show that John the Baptist is a very special baby. And even that is not the main point. The main point, why is John special? He's only special because he was born to announce the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah means the anointed one, the special one, that's Jesus. So practically it means that John, John the Baptist and every other person on this planet, we are unimportant nobodies without Jesus. Even if you are a king or a president or a sports star or a famous singer or a famous actor, without Jesus Christ, you and I are nothing. So do not boast in yourself. Do not seek, seek for yourself worldly glory. Seek Jesus. Find your joy and happiness in Jesus. Find your identity in Jesus. Ask Jesus to save you from the evil heart inside of you, from a guilty conscience and from a very dark past. 
And then you acknowledge Him as your King and your Lord. And you believe His death is sufficient. His death is enough to forgive your sins. His death and His life, His resurrection is enough to fill the emptiness of your soul. And once you have found Jesus, you will also find out who you are and what your purpose is in life. Why am I here? You'll be like the donkey, the donkey who found his life's purpose because Jesus rode on him. You'll be like the tree who found his life's purpose because Jesus was nailed to that tree for our sins. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we draw near to you, asking, O Lord, help us to fix our hearts, our minds, our eyes on Jesus Christ, that we would find our life purpose indeed, our life's purpose by looking to the Son of God who died for me and gave himself for me, I pray that you would save any listening to this message, any who are not yet saved, that they would find purpose and meaning and satisfaction and peace and rest in Jesus Christ. Amen.